in my book, there's a alliteration to the um, to the constellations, and just the way when we look up at the sky and we don't, we can't really tell all. I mean, I certainly can't. The only thing I see is the Big Dipper, but you look up there and you try to make sense of the patterns, and you actually never really can. But the same way when you introduce two people, you have no idea what good is going to come. And to me, that's the magic of it: the impact that can happen, the companies that get funded, the、yeah. nonprofits that get started, the people that find jobs. This is actual impact and action happening every day, and sometimes it just feels good waking up knowing you played a small role in that. Ready to learn why cash flow and compassion are not mutually exclusive? Each week, brand strategist, speaker, and author Maria Ross will introduce you to the trailblazing brands and leaders who embrace empathetic tactics to reap huge rewards. You'll learn about winning teams, brand wins and fails, unforgettable customer experience, and bold leadership decisions fueled by compassion. You'll get the latest trends and research, discover practical ways to infuse more empathy into your work and life, and hear from innovative market leaders who've smashed outdated models and redefined success. Welcome to the Empathy Edge podcast, the show that proves empathy isn't just good for society; it's great for business. If we've learned anything over the last few years of dealing with a global pandemic, it's our insatiable human need for connection. I'm not talking about likes on a post or how many business cards you hand out at an event. I'm talking about genuine connection, connections that fuel you, inspire you, make you laugh, spark ideas, or new business opportunities. Today, my guest Susan McPherson shares her lifelong commitment to connection in her new book. The Lost Art of Connecting: The Gather, Ask, Do Method for Building Meaningful Relationships. Today, we talk about how her parents' pre-social media methods of connecting influenced her own connection philosophy. How her Gather, Ask, Do method works for building generous and meaningful connection. How we can best revitalize our relationships in a post-pandemic world, and the role technology can play now and going forward. But first, a bit about Susan, who is a superwoman in my book. She's a serial connector, angel investor, and corporate responsibility expert. She's the founder and CEO of McPherson Strategies, a communications consultancy focused on the intersection of brands and social impact. Susan has 25 plus years of experience in marketing, PR, and sustainability communications, speaking at industry events and appearing in. NPR on CNN, USA Today, The New Yorker, The New York Magazine, and The Los Angeles Times. In 2021, Susan received Forbes Magazine's 50 Over 50 Impact Award. Currently, Susan invests in and advises too many women-led startups to mention, but including iFundWomen Inc., Messy.fm, The Riveter, Park Place Payments, Hintwater, and The Muse. She's a board member and advisory board member to several for-profits and non-profits, including Girls Who Code. Additionally, she's a member of the MIT Solve Women and Technology Leadership Group. All the things. Clearly, Susan is a master connector. So settle into today's show and take notes on how to connect and thrive. Hello, Susan. Welcome to the Empathy Edge. I'm so excited to talk to you about the lost art of connecting today. Hello, Maria. It is a complete joy to be here with you. Thank you so very much. So your book is amazing, 
and everyone needs to read it, especially in this era we're in right now of so much technology to keep us connected, but people feeling lonelier and more disconnected than ever. So I think this is such a timely topic um, to talk about right now. I love how you describe the book as a guide to reclaiming the power of human contact. (laughs) And I want to talk about the great story you shared in the book about your childhood and how you grew up and saw from your parents that connecting was sort of a natural way of being. Can you share that story and talk about how that influenced your work today? Absolutely. Well, interestingly enough, I grew up in the late 60s, early 70s, and both my parents were serial connectors. Uh, They both had a very different approach. But one thing that was uniform was every single morning I would buy for real estate for my bowl of cereal or toast with jam because they would have the five local newspapers plus yesterday's or the day before's New York Times or Boston and Boston Globe that they would literally pour over and then take their scissors or razor blade and clip out articles, then go to their respective manual typewriters and type quick little missives to people that they loved, people that they worked with, people that they knew from years before. And often to the postal mail, that would go. And I just assumed everybody's parents did that. So it was quite a formative um, uh, a way to grow up. And then, of course, when I got my first fax machine in the late 80s, I could do what they were doing simultaneously. <laughs> Maria, I'll be completely honest with you. I have a feeling those faxes are still out in the ether because I oh, never figure out. <laughs> they are with the waxy paper. I remember yes. an internship having to do that. Yeah, it was yeah. crazy. Oh, I'm older than you. But um, and and the other thing, you know, in addition to that, they really um, uh, put in my brain from a very young age uh, the notion that every single person on this planet is deserved of our interest, attention, curiosity, and compassion. And somehow, I think, you know, looking back 50 plus years later, that has helped me with everything and anything. Um, But obviously, from from a professional standpoint and a business standpoint, having that ongoing curiosity about others has been what I think is a gift for connection, for for uh, building relationships, for all of the above. Right. And that's the heart of empathy, right? I've mentioned several times, my listeners are sick of me saying it, but empathy is the number one, or or curiosity is the number one trait of empathic people. And it's because you have a desire to get to know someone else and understand their point of view and understand (laughs) what makes them tick and what resonates for them. And what I love about this is, you know, we often talk about being generous when we're connecting and being generous when we're quote unquote networking. And I, I want to try to stay away from that word because I think it's more about the actual connections and people say like, Oh, but I already have so much to do. Like now I've got to worry about what other people need. And you can find a way to do that in a very natural way where you're not giving yourself more to do on your to-do list. You're just making it part of your daily routine. And I know we we're going to talk about that in a little bit, Um, because I want to talk about actual practical steps people can adopt to build human connection and empathy into their daily routine. So that's a little teaser for folks to stay on with us longer. (laughs) But first, what I loved in the book that was that you broke down the ability to connect and create what I should say, meaningful connections, right? It's like the difference between empathy and genuine empathy. Um, You talk about the gather, ask, do method. So can you share a little bit about that? Sure. The book is broken into three parts, gather, ask, do. And essentially, it's a methodology that you can use now or later or tomorrow or next week. 
And it is grounded in the first and most important theme of the entire book. And that is this notion of leading with how can I be helpful? Okay, which really pivots that word that we're not going to mention traditional, I'll just say it networking on its head, because you walk into a room, whether it's a virtual room or a real live event, and you don't walk in with what am I going to get? It's more what can I learn? What can I give? What can I understand better about the world that I'm living in? So gather as do um, from a 30,000 foot view, you start at gather. And the most important thing is to connect with the person that you live with every day. And that's yourself. And really think about what are your goals over the next four years, four months, heck, four weeks. And think about who is it that you want to meet, to connect with, to reconnect with, that are going to help you meet those goals. But also, who can you be helpful to at the same time? Also, during the gather phase, you think really intentionally about what are your superpowers, whether you're 21 or approaching retirement, you have superpowers and you they ebb and flow and we all have them. But that is important to know how you can be helpful to others when you can tap into them. And lastly, during gather is you think about how you are going to break that hermetically sealed bubble that so many of us, including me, find ourselves in where we tend to meet people who look like us, sound like us, the same age as us, the same race and color as us. Then you go to the ask and ask is all about learning to ask the meaningful questions of others so you can understand where they are coming from. And that plays back into your your passion for empathy and leading with empathy. Um, when you ask people questions about who they truly are at the core, you're able to find out what their hopes and dreams are so that if you listen carefully, you can go to the do. And the do, unfortunately, or fortunately, is the place I like to be. And that's where you take action, where you become reliable, responsible, trustworthy, and say the things you're going to do. It doesn't mean you have to do them the next hour or that night or the next day, but you make space to do them over time. And this can be done over and over. And I I do want to just say, in this weird vortex that we're living in, where many of us are having self-reflections, we know about the great resignation. So now is a real time to think about what, what, what is our intentionality and how do we want to move through this world connecting with others? I love so many things about that, that aspect. And first of all, I cannot help. I know I've pointed this out on a past episode before, but this idea of going in with not what can you do for me, but how can I help? There's, there's a show on TV called new Amsterdam that when I'm lucky, I, I catch in, in oh. on demand. Cause my husband refuses to watch melodramas like that. But, um, what I love about it is it's about this idealistic young medical doctor at a, a public hospital in new, a fictional public hospital in New York city. And he wants to change healthcare wow. and his catchphrase because all he does is walk around talking to people is how can I help whenever they say they have a problem, whenever he's checking in with people and he's actually modeled it so much that now the staff will do it as a joke when they're connecting with other people, you know, like, how can I help, you know, or as our, our fearless leader would say, how can I help? And it's such an invitation to not just not what do you need? Because people don't always know what they need, but how can I help? And that could be as simple as, you know, not adding to your workload. It could be just an introduction or keep your eyes open for, or these are the kinds of people I would love to meet. And you can sort of file it away in your mental Rolodex of like, oh, 
I remember having that conversation with Susan a few weeks ago, and she was just looking for someone that did this thing. I'm going to introduce her to these people and maybe it'll go somewhere and maybe it won't, but it's that generosity. And it's that generosity of not expecting anything in return, but knowing that at some point you will get ROI from that, whether it's, it's goodwill, whether it's reputation, whether it's just feeling good that you helped two amazing people connect. Um, so there's so much in there and, and how do you help people make that shift of, you know, they read a, a book about networking and they're going into the meeting with their business cards in hand, you know, back when we were meeting in person, um, how do you get them to make that shift and have it feel comfortable for them? Well, it's, you know, practice just like anything else, right? It's a muscle. Um, but I think you have to help people understand that this is the, the actually good comes from this, right? I mean, I think, you know, when we think of any behavior change, there has to be an incentive to do it, right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm because it, it, it's something new, or it may seem like, wait, I'm putting all this good out there. What's the point, right? But, you know, my business is now eight years old. And over the years, about 95% of our business has been inbound. So I share that not to say, oh, look at me, look how great I am. But instead, that means that all those meetings, all those introductions, all those connections, the people that I supported, the you know, $10 donations here and there in my 20s, in my 30s, in my 40s, have actually come back to help. And it's not like I knew this was coming. I mean, it, it didn't right. happen in I was 48. That wasn't and your ulterior motive when you were doing no. it. Yeah. <laughs> I always have trouble remembering ulterior motive. I, yeah. But, you know, and yes, there were always going to be people who assume you do have an ulterior, but mm -hmm. there's 10 billion people or 9 billion people on this planet. We know what to do with those people. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think number one, we have to showcase the why, you know, what, what, what actually comes of this and to make people realize this isn't about helping 50,000 people. Right. You know, this is, this is two or three actions a week. Mm -hmm. And I often say, you know, people are like, well, how do you have time to do that? I, I have time to brush my hair. I have time to brush my teeth. It's a but habit like anything it, else, right? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, it's almost like drafting on a bike. You will receive goodness back. Mm -hmm. It may not come tonight, but it will come. Mm -hmm. And people do remember. And fundamentally, people want to be helpful. So when you are helpful, you are helping create kind of this drafting to get other people to do the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like just this morning, for example, I reached out to two or three people that I haven't talked to in a while. I was, I was very heavily um, communicating with them for different things a few months ago. And then we sort of dropped off and it, it took two minutes. Like, yeah. Hey, how's it going? Just want to see what's going on in your world. What are you working on? How can I help? And who knows where that can lead? It could lead to, Oh, I'm so glad you reconnected. I was just talking the other day with someone that needed so-and-so or you know, you just never know where all that goodness leads. And even if it leads nowhere, which it, I don't feel it ever does, it just makes work more fun. Yeah, it, absolutely. And you know, I, in, the, in my book, there's a, a, a alliteration to the, um, to the constellations. And just the way when we look up at the sky and we don't, we can't really tell all, I mean, I certainly can't. The only thing I see is the Big Dipper, but- I can barely see that one, so that's yeah. okay. <laughs> In other words, you look up there and you try to make sense of the patterns and you actually never really can. But the same way when you introduce two people, you have no idea what good is going to come. And, and to me, that's the magic of it. The impact that can happen, the companies that get funded, the nonprofits yeah. that get started, the people that find jobs. 
This is actual impact and action happening every day. And sometimes it just feels good waking up knowing you had a, you played a small role in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, let's talk a little bit about that. What are some ways that people can build that human connection and empathy habit into their daily routine? Can you, can you give us two or three tips that people can implement today? Sure. Well, and again, you know, this, this pandemic has obviously has had all kinds of effects on us and we probably won't know for another 10 or 15 years, truly the devastating kind of psychological effects. Um, we did have a loneliness epidemic in this country and globally, dare I say, long before the pandemic, but it has only exacerbated that. So one, I, I would encourage people to think about the gather, ask, do, whether you read the book or not, um, and, and really think about what are your goals? Because just, you know, I don't want to sit here and say just to connect, right? I mean, there are some of us who just love to do it because it's fun. <laughs> Other people who have elderly parents to take care of, children, you know, et cetera. Time is precious. So I do think every moment or every morning, if you could just at the top of your list, say, reach out to three people. That's it, you know, with a text, with a WhatsApp, with a phone call, if you have a moment, if you have longer than a couple of moments, an email, a DM on social media, and just say, I'm thinking of you, or you popped in my brain, or here's a link to an article. Just mm-hmm. if you could do that every day, think of the exponential benefits that that could happen. And two, when you reach out to people on LinkedIn to connect, Instead of leading with what can you get, flip it around and think about, do a little research about the person you're wanting to connect with and maybe offer up a way to be supportive to them before you make the ask. Um, Oftentimes when I do talks in public, I'll ask, you know, can I see a show of hands? How many have you, how many have you received reach outs on LinkedIn? And then literally within an hour, they're trying to sell you something. And I said, raising my hand. Yeah. (laughs) I said, what is, if instead they reached out and said, Maria, I know you're launching this new podcast and I know three great guests and oh, by the way, blah, blah, blah. Right. See, and to me, you know, 20, 30 years ago, we didn't have the tools at our disposal to actually do the research to find out. We had the Encyclopedia Britannica and the Yellow Page. <laughs> you can look up on every platform and get some background. I mean, you know, again, generalization, there are some people obviously who are extraordinarily private and good luck. <laughs> but mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, you can find out if they have grandchildren on Instagram, you can right. find out what they're ranting about on Twitter, you can find out their career trajectory on LinkedIn. So generally speaking, you can find what I like to call the commonality in the uncommonality so mm-hmm. that when you reach out, there's a connection that's a little bit deeper than just that ether. Mm-hmm. So those would be two things you could start doing tomorrow. Yeah. And like you said earlier, just like you make time for brushing your teeth, and combing your hair, <laughs> putting on your makeup, you just, a glass of water. just take that time to, to set it aside. And it, it doesn't have to take long. And it doesn't mean, I think what people have in their heads is, oh gosh, I'm going to reach out to these people. And then they're going to give me all the, like I said, all these to do's they're going to want this. They're going to want that. And that's actually never the reality. hundred percent. Yeah. So I want to talk about post pandemic pandemic. I mean, you know, what is the best way to connect and especially revitalize those relationships with people, especially I've I've heard from a few people now that they're even struggling. They're feeling awkward going back into in-person events again. They almost forgot how to people 
right? Yeah. And so, so what, what, what advice do you have for people as they, as they continue to have to connect in different ways or, or shore up connections that got lost in the mm-hmm. pandemic um, because of isolation or lockdown or anything like that? Well, the beautiful thing is everybody on this planet has experienced this pandemic. Okay. And other than climate change, there's not a whole lot we can collectively say that we have all experienced. Obviously, some people have had much more dire circumstances and situations than others. But the beautiful thing is, is we can all agree. We're all feeling we're all in it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's acknowledge that. And somehow, sometimes that can put you at ease, right? Also, be gentle with yourself. Don't expect too much. Um, You know, in the book, I offer a a tip called the triumvirate, where you walk into an event, whether it's online or in person, and you go with the goal to meet three people, share three things, and learn three things. So in other words, put a wrapper around it, and then you can go hide in the bathroom. Yeah. (laughs) Set realistic expectations. You can't walk in after... Um, you know, 18 months of not going to events and feel comfortable, even someone like me, that's an extrovert. So you can only imagine somebody who's shy. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you can find out who's going to be in the room ahead of time, um, you know, again, because of technology, we have the tools at our disposal to get a sense and think about who is it that you, you want to meet or re-meet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in terms of reconnecting with people that you've lost touch with, now is the time while we're still kind of quasi stuck Make a list of people that you've lost touch with. And for God's sake, don't be afraid to reach out. The worst thing that can happen is the worst thing. And that is they don't respond. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we hate that. I hate being ghosted. It's the worst thing in the world. But you know what? It's happened. It'll happen again. And we never know what's going on for other people either. (laughs) You know, we don't know if their family is sick or they're dealing with kids at home or whatever. So it's it's one of those things where you don't have to take it personally. Exactly. And you have the perfect excuse. We have been a global pandemic. No one's going to curse you out for using that. You may not always have that excuse. Right. So use it now while you can, right? (laughs) You know, it's been such a hell, a a hellacious situation. Let's get what we can from it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now is the time. Yeah. I know that there's been, um, I haven't dug into this, but there have been studies about how the way we attend meetings has been so impacted by so many people doing meetings over zoom now, because in a, in a virtual meeting, you have the ability to mute and do something else. You have the ability to turn your camera off. If you need a break, you have the ability to ask questions in a safe environment. And then when you go back into a live setting, like you said, even extroverts like us, those controls are not available anymore. And we've gotten, we've gotten so reliant on them that I think that's something that we need to acknowledge and be gentle with ourselves about is hundred percent. You don't get that that opportunity to raise your hand covertly in a chat when you're in a live event. And I found, you know, I've run a few of my client brand workshops live, uh, that I've been able to, and I love doing them live, but they're mentally exhausting. When you go back into a live multi-hour event, after being able to do something on zoom for like an hour here, an hour there, I can mute, I can take a break. I can go off camera. You're like on for that whole time. And it, it you just have to yeah. acknowledge it's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so speaking of which I want to ask a question because this is a question I get a lot and it's, you know, how do I, for me in the context of, you know, how do I, how do I practice empathy in a virtual environment or using technology? And also people asking this question a lot in terms of their culture, their company culture, 
Um, what advice do you have or insights do you have around the role of technology in creating not only immediate, but lasting connections? I, for lasting, anything has to be repetitive. Okay. It's not a one and done. You can't have a, a phone call and then you have a lasting, right? It needs to be repeated. Does it need to be repeated every day or every week? No, but you need to. And I also suggest because we have all these technology tools is one, ask the recipient, whether it's a colleague or a friend or, you know, a donor or a funder, how do they want to be in contact with you? Right. You know, what is the best mode? Because to me, that's just, it's a very personal question. We all have our likes and dislikes. Right. We also decide, you know, we have phone for these people and text for these people. Right. But I think it, 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 it's great to ask people mm-hmm. how they, they best and to be repetitive to a certain extent, not to be a pain in the, you know what? Right. But third, technology aside, learn how to be a good listener. You can't be empathetic if you don't listen to others, right? You can't begin to understand the world they're living in if you're not listening to them. So if you're listening on phone or reading via text or email, that is a form of listening. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to acknowledge that and then let people know that you heard them, that you listened to them. So I think that, you know, regardless of the technology. Yeah. uh, you know, we, we talk about Zoom gloom or, you know, whatever, Zoom exhaustion. Could you imagine this last 18 months without it? Oh, yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm glad we have Zoom fatigue. I'm glad we had it to <laughs> help us through. <laughs> and, and that's also about like setting your expectations. Like, I love that you brought up the fact that we need to honor other people and how they want to be communicated with. And so it's a perfectly acceptable question to say, Hey, I'd love to follow up with you in a few weeks or a month, you know, is email best is text best. What works for you? Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to guess. I think that's what we try. We try to guess, right. It's like, we're like, we're like fourth graders trying to ask someone out. Does he like me? Does he not like me? (laughs) We're trying to do all this guessing. And it's really just about being clear and direct with people of like, what would best serve you? hundred percent. Yeah. I love it. Well, This has been great. I do have one last question because I just love this acronym in the book. You talked about um, this idea of moving from FOMO, fear of missing out, to (laughs) JOMO, the joy of meeting others. Can you quickly tell us what you mean by that? Sure. Well, I I don't know about you, Maria, but ever since high school, I had uh, FOMO when I would come back on a Monday after a weekend um, and I would hear about all the parties I didn't get invited to. Fast forward to the world we're living in today, you can find out in real time what you're not. <laughs> but from a professional standpoint, what I have learned over the years is, yes, we oftentimes don't get that seat at the table or we don't get invited to that dinner or that event. Well, let's flip it on its switch and instead of FOMO, create JOMO, the joy of meeting others, not the joy of missing out. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who are shy or introverted, introverted don't get nervous because really what you can do is just invite three or four people and then ask those people to invite others. Mm -hmm. And voila, you have a gathering and it will be joyful because you created it. And I go so far in the book as talk about pick a, pick a theme, pick a cause. I mean, we all know how to do this, but the point is, is don't feel like you've the weight of the world that you have to do all the inviting. Mm -hmm. Let's draft off each other. Um, But to me, that has been a wonderful way to connect over the years is and I've done this via, you know, virtual too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is from going from FOMO to JOMO. 
I love it. I love it so much. Well, Susan, thank you so much for your insights today. And the book is wonderful. It's called The Lost Art of Connecting. And you have definitely made it an art, which I love. And your work about, you know, helping brands and companies and thought leaders have social impact and have change is just near and dear to my heart. So I really love your work. And um, in the spirit of connecting, let me know how I can help. <laughs> right back at you, Marie. This is joy and congratulations on all your success. Um, your podcast is incredible. And I'm, I am very, very fortunate to be sitting in this chair. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. If you loved it, please share it with someone, you know, reach out and connect and send them a link if you haven't talked to them in a while. And um, please don't forget to rate and review that feedback is always super helpful. Until next time, please remember that cash flow, creativity, and compassion are not mutually exclusive. Take care, be kind. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Empathy Edge. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share the show with others who want to redefine success and change the game. For more on how empathy makes you and your brand more successful, visit TheEmpathyEdge.com. There, you can download a free guide outlining five business benefits of empathy and a free sample chapter of Maria's book, The Empathy Edge. Until next time, remember that a more empathetic world starts with you and leads to tremendous success.